So normally we record our audio content on Mondays and Wednesdays. Today's a Sunday, and uh, I didn't know if I wanted to do this, but Brandon said we had to force the record, and that if we didn't force the record, that we were libs, and we didn't care about the working class. So Brandon, what's... Listen, the people, the people need to know that we're still making audio content. We've released like maybe one audio episode in like the last two months. And every day we get on the stream and we say the audio is back and people get over there and they go and they rush to the, to the feed and it's not there. Uh, and people don't like it and there needs to be some accountability. We need the recordings, not later, not in two years, not Monday, which is slightly less than 24 hours from now, but right now, they need it right now. Well, you know, Brandon, <laughs> as the official representative of the White Women Caucus, I just yes. want to say that it is extremely sexist of you to demand we do our jobs. It is unacceptable that you would force us to actually conduct these specific actions as per our contract with each other to show up and record things. Why do white women have a caucus? Because of course we do. Why can't y'all just be friends? Because we, are you kidding? Have you met white women? <laughs> There's, we don't there are, have there friends. We have business women that connections. Are friends. Okay. Yeah. That's that's not how this works. Okay. Brandon, no. let me, Brandon, let's just Rachel and I are gonna we're gonna open the curtain up. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna let you into brunch for a minute. We're gonna show you the way white people really operate. There's no friendships here in this world. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Every single relationship is transactional. <laughs> Oh, I, first of all, I'm glad to only be like honestly, I'm only like fifty percent joking right now. Like, especially the more you get, the closer you get to like specifically New England culture, the more transactional every single relationship becomes, and it's like this weird sort of commingling of like wealth and narcissism, such that like literally none of them have any relationship to each other beyond like what is convenient and advantageous to whatever their current goals are. It's like soulless. It's amazing. Um. I have dated the into the family of a into a wealthy New England family. Uh huh. Then you know they were very nice. However, yeah, to uh, your face. <laughs> New England, New England, uh, uh, old person brain is uh, kind of like Twitter brain. It's a weird refraction of reality that resembles the real world in some moments. Just really has no real serious genuine connection. I see that, by the way, first of all, before we even go back to anything else, for us to have a transactional relationship, you're doing a lot for me. So I must be giving a lot to this relationship. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's clout. And uh, second, yeah, I just think the more that people see us recording, the more they will believe in us. And if they see that someone's not recording, like April, they can go out to Montana and go get April and say, you're not doing your damn job. Right. We need to, we need to recall April. We need to have an immediate recall vote. <laughs> you know what April will do as soon as the mob shows up to her door? She'll be like, uh-huh, what? <laughs> a podcast? <laughs> uh, hey, hey, Kennedy, can I talk to you over here for a second uh, as, like, the White Woman Caucus? Can oh, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, was... um, sorry, Brandon. So got, sorry, Brandon. So, uh, yeah, Kennedy, we got to vote Brandon out. Oh. We got we to gotta vote him out. Oh. We're going to have to kick him out. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, and we'll just we'll do this episode. We won't tell him. But if we want to break gotta, into the Brooklyn podcasting world, we got to get more white. 
That's what everybody yeah, keeps telling I, us. You know, and it's just the, the the harsh reality of the business anyway. So, hey, Brandon, uh, you ready? We, we yeah. were going to talk about uh, voting and forcing votes uh, and, you know, uh, forcing and... recording and civility. And we have all these like great plans. <laughs> you know, let's get to work. Uh, I've got a I've got a really great rant about STV voting. When you hear about it, your mind is just. You are triggering me on purpose. <laughs> Yeah, I'm actually in favor of force the vote, but for none of the reasons that most of the force the vote people are in favor of it. Like, because I think these people think that it's like got a chance in hell of passing, which is hilarious. And it's like, no, it's not going to pass. Of course, it's not going to pass. They can't even pass like a decent spending bill. Like, ridiculous. They think that like when this Medicare for all thing comes out that people will like take to the streets but i don't think people understand that like when they're when the if and when there's a four vote on medicare for all it won't right. be on the news <laughs> like it like it won't it will not it'll be something that doesn't happen outside of like the weird ends of of twitter unfortunately and like yeah it'll get used in some campaign ads like later on but the people that are going to be voting down medicare for all that are democrats they are the ones that are going to be carefully selected to be the ones that are least vulnerable to primary challenges and you will have to like ironically enough go out to montana uh from where you actually live next to april to go find the democrats that are like shutting this thing down because they're going to be far away from you know the kind of people who will be fired up on twitter and go be like let's go right accountable yeah, okay, but hear me out. Like, if I were, for example, just bitch goddess of DSA, and I was, like, on the NPC and I could make the these kinds of decisions, it. right? I would be working on that alongside active canvassing, right? Specifically, like, issue-based canvassing and just saying, like, hey, your representative voted against this, and I can't even, like, talk to you on your own front porch. I have to stand here on the sidewalk six feet away from you because we have a pandemic right now, and your representative voted this down, and you would be saving this much money right now if you had this, and they fucked you. And that's the only way this works, right? The only way it actually actually works for us to force that kind of vote knowing we're going to lose is if we make them look so shitty for voting it down that people become angry. That's it. Like it's either that or it doesn't mean anything at all and it just stops being a thing people even talk about. Unless you want to look like the fucking Republicans who tried to vote down Obamacare 700 times. <laughs> right. This is like the this is like the working class is or isn't a sleeping giant thing that we've yeah. been seeing a lot of on Twitter. Yeah. Um because like that's really where a lot of this comes down to cuz Rachel you're absolutely right. If you force the vote and educate the working class, yes. then like the combination of those two things together could be pretty effective but the reality is is that like a lot of people just aren't going to hear about this even if it happens like brandon says and and like okay great so like all of us on twitter who are already pro medicare for all will be like a little more sure about which people in the government are on our side on that issue yeah. who cares yeah a little more sure yeah a little more sure a little because more like because as aoc points out like if you're against it uh, you can just go to pelosi and be like hey look People in my district will give me a hard time if I vote this thing down right now. And Pelosi will be like, yeah, okay, it's fine, man. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and vote yes. And that's the, yeah, that's the whole the whole conversation is what it'll be. Do y'all know what a whip does? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, like, uh, this, right? this is, like, like th it's not like House of Cards, okay? It is kind of like House of Cards, it's but like House, House of, of Cards, Cards season one, is, like the is, good episodes at the very beginning. Not but even like that. It no, it's not even like that because I have been with these people. It is 
way less passionate than that even it's this like very disinterested like bored kind of tyranny like they don't even find it interesting that they're like ruining people's lives i I was gonna say it's not even like a lot like the house of cards like you know the character of the whip in season one played by an unfortunate actor who i won't name and sucks horribly as a person you know that character is like going around like really strong arming and bullying people and stuff that rarely happens it's more like it's more like nancy pelosi has like settlers of Catan or something set up in her office <laughs> or some fucking like wonk ass board game that she's like arranging with all these Congress people. For all I know, she probably has all their little faces on some like pieces of cardboard that she moves around, right? Uh, incidentally, like, they did establish in House of Cards that the aforementioned character played by the unfortunate actor did actually do war diorama recreations, like battlefield right. recreations. So, so, so you're still very much like within the House of Cards realm, I'm just saying. Absolutely. So it's like all these all these people just come to Nancy Pelosi and they say, hey, my district, I really got to vote yes on this, like Brandon was just saying. Or they say, I'm totally safe to be a shitty Democrat and vote no on this, but I will probably want things later or things like that. And they they make some little deals. Sure. But it's not all that dramatic. And yeah, like the whole idea that these kinds of votes aren't massaged this way pretty heavily in general is ridiculous. Thinking that this vote is meaningful really is giving too much credit to the system. That's the ultimate irony i think a lot of the people that are calling for this current version of force the vote think of themselves as the vanguard of the left like if you were to ask them or like like look at how they talk about themselves or talk about their movements blah 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 they think of themselves as the fucking vanguard of the left and yet they have enough faith in this system to think that this vote could be meaningful like what yeah i don't get it either where are y'all's heads at i just don't i'm not even trying to be insulting right now i really am asking this as a sincere question where are y'all's heads at? I do not understand. Like it's, it doesn't make sense to me. And especially because the other argument that I keep hearing is there's been all of these symbolic gestures about Medicare for all for decades. Uh, we need more, which is true, right? That is true. But this is another symbolic gesture. I still don't see where the mind space is at that this vote is somehow going to prove actual purity when again, votes don't work that way in Congress. Let's be real. Let's talk about how real life and how right. these, this is not conspiracy, by the way. Just oh. this is, We're just talking about how yes. lobbyists and whips and civics all these things these are just the things that this is the way these things work Okay. And also, it just it fundamentally misunderstands the way power is distributed through Congress, right? Congress has a patronage system. You suck up to the right people, you advance in Congress. If you don't, they will ruin you and you will not get reelected. Period. Like, it is absolutely that kind of system. They don't have to say it explicitly, like, you have to agree with this person. It's just understood, if you piss Nancy Pelosi off enough, your career is over. Like, that's just how it works. And the reason why AOC has been treated with comparatively kid gloves, and I don't know if everybody knows that, but in addition to being a dynamite fundraiser who just raises a lot of money and she gives them some cash too, in addition to that being the situation, there was just a fear that, you know, the Freedom the freedom Caucus and the GOP has 36 members. Like they are an actual deep movement. And I think that there was a, a expectation that AOC would be bringing like a dozen people behind her in a couple of years. And so it was good right. to kind of at least if not like be on her side kind of treat her neutrally but like people people who think that's gonna happen like well okay to be fair people who think that's gonna happen are mostly zoomers and they're a lot younger than us uh so speaking primarily to those people like let yeah. me explain all to zoomers. How Jimmy much all this fuck. right well you know like but like for real like regardless <laughs> of your actual age i'm trying yeah. to be 
you know, generous to this group of people. But like, the reality of the situation is the Freedom Caucus started with the Tea Party, which happened back in like 2008. So they've been doing this for 12 years and we started like two years ago. We are right. not even two, like four if you include the first Sanders campaign, right? So like, we are four years into a 16 year project. And we are not there yet. I agree that we should be pushing these things and we should be loud and we should be annoying the same way the Tea Party was because that energizes people. People get excited seeing somebody actively fighting for them. That's why the Sanders campaign was so electric because he stood up and said, I'm fighting for you. It's why in spite of being an obvious nincompoop psychopath, Donald Trump became president because he stood up on the stage and said, I am fighting for you against them. And they named the enemy and that was what made them so powerful and persuasive, right? And that's the point of doing something like forcing the vote. It's not for the purpose of trying to make Medicare for all happen faster because it's not going to. It's for the purpose of giving something to point to and say they fucked you. I, the list yeah. is a, such a long list. <laughs> I mean, if you're the left, if you're on the left, you're you're probably tired of how long the list is. Whether it's the Patriot Act, I mean, just let, if we were to just go through the, the last twenty years, whether it's the Patriot Act, whether it's the war in Iraq, Afghanistan, deregulation, the climate, you know, carbon tax, all this other stuff, like the list of things where you can point and say you got screwed over. It's a very powerful and long list. And yeah, I mean, one more one more notch in the list won't hurt anybody. Uh, and and I'm not necessarily saying it's no one should do this. No, whatever whatever you get, even if it's symbolic and you. you feel like you won something it's probably good enough but i just feel like boy do you you say hey people are going to take to the streets and they see this vote do you know who those people are do you know what their phone numbers are do you know uh if you want ten thousand people out on the streets that basically means you need a hundred thousand people that are willing to go right like realistically yeah absolutely 10, absolutely because you can you can have a lot of people that want to want to go and they'll just be busy or they won't feel like or they want to want to do whatever the reason is it also means that you need dozens of organizers these things do not just happen magically i think there's a no. perception a lot and i think that the way that the media covers blm riots or protests in particular has like not helped with this because the way the media covers BLM protests a lot is it sort of makes it feel like the community saw this bad thing happen, got angry and went out in the streets. Right. That's a narrative that feels oh. good to hear, right. but it's completely unrealistic and it doesn't reflect reality. The reason that so many people got in the streets in Minneapolis is because there was a BLM movement there before George Floyd was killed. It wasn't because right. a movement magically sprang up around his death. There was already an existent movement that had existed for years, many years, and which had the ability to do what Brandon is saying, pick up the phone, call people yeah. and get them out in the streets to protest. Right. If you do not have that, it's not magically coming out of thin air. Even yeah. getting Georgia to flip blue in an election between, you know, Joe Biden and the worst president in the history of the country, it still took like a full decade of multiple big organizations coordinating their efforts. Like it's, yeah. it's ridiculous to just think this stuff happens like that. That being said, fun, fun thing I'm going to announce on the show to both of you and also the world. Uh, I was recently invited to join the force the vote slack. Okay. And I'm deciding whether I should do it. <laughs> no, you should well, go check it out. I, yeah. I, I think, think I should. Like around half of the people involved. I truly respect. Yeah. The other half tend to be people like Jimmy Dore that I openly right. hate and will just spit on the name of all day because 
fuck Listen. you, Jimmy Dore, you transphobic dork. Um, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, honestly, this to me is not about ideology or strategy. It's just how uh, people individually are coping with feeling powerless. Uh, like, yeah. see, see the word force in a in a hashtag, and uh, they see that they've been completely shut out of what the cabinet, the presidency, the vice presidency, secretary. Like, name something. You're not getting it, and you're not being heard. And you're and yeah. anything that says someone fucking hear me, someone hear what I want and hear what I need. And uh, and if that's enough for you, I don't even mean that in a condescending way. Like, no. if that's what you fucking need, then, I mean, go for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I know you know this about me, uh, but I will say one more time. At this point, my entire political strategy is get people really, really angry and then give them, like, actual outlets to direct that anger. I think if force the vote is your most important issue right now, run with it. Like by all means, okay. because like run with healthcare organizing. Healthcare organizing is one of the most viable things you could be organizing around. I know yep. that Medicare for all still a lot of times feels like a distant dream, but it's not. Okay. The fact that we are having this many conversations about this shit all the time is because we are relatively close in many respects. Just because we are relatively yep. close though, does not mean we will automatically cross the finish line. So this is a great time to get involved with healthcare organizing by all means go for it become a healthcare organizer like get in the force to vote slack rabble rouse call all your fucking reps but that's part of the problem that i want to address call all your reps putting all of this on aoc is just like a weird posturing like that's that's yeah. where it starts to get that's where it starts to get totally bizarre if you want to say we're going to fo force the vote and we're going to call lots of reps as many reps as we can and we're going to particularly lean on progressive reps like aoc all of that's reasonable okay but when you're like if aoc doesn't personally be the one to yeah. spearhead right. this effort she's canceled y'all y'all have gotten way too attached to the wrong things I can't believe a primarily white, primarily male section of the leftist, like, caucus is somehow inconceivably putting an unfair amount of weight on the brown congresswoman. How well, could that well, possibly be? Even putting all this aside, everybody's got all the action in the world for AOC. Get her to go and scream at Pelosi every day. You guys won't even talk to your own MAGA aunts and uncles. Uh, won't write your MAGA congressman. They won't answer my phone. They won't answer my call. Uh... Like, yes, yeah, seriously. Man, fucking Brian kept pissing yeah. me off so much. I showed up in front of his office with a guillotine. You can yeah. do better. You can call them. You guys, you guys think <laughs> futile waste of energy and effort are for other people. I'll put it like that. Yeah. What What is up with the with the perception? I've seen there are accounts that I've seen specifically post both of these things. I don't have to spend any time educating right wingers. I don't have oh, to spend God. any time with my MAGA grandma, blah, blah. Oh, but AOC needs to spend her time trying to convince Pelosi of something. Do you understand that that is much harder than you just talking to your MAGA grandma and trying to get her to be less racist? Like much harder. <laughs> Because huh. Pelosi, again, Pelosi is not important. Like worrying about Pelosi is literally like, you know, have you also heard of Courage? The, 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 what do you call him? The strip club dog. He's got a cigar. No, he's Courage Conan's side. The cowardly dog. Oh, no, not Courage the cowardly dog. Oh, wait, wait. He's Are you talking about a riot? Something, the insult comic dog? That one? Yes. Yes. The insult God, comic oh, dog. God. Oh, what was oh, his that's name? A, that's Triumph. A Triumph. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yes. Nancy yeah. Pelosi is Triumph the Insult Comic Dog. Okay, I need you to my, elucidate that one, my friend. Because she can go on TV and say whatever and be provocative. Yeah. But if you are provoked by Nancy Pelosi uh, talking, 
and you go and attack the hand puppet and you are being dumb because you're buying into an illusion of like you you have bought full sale into the puppets illusion of them their own importance nancy pelosi just literally works for the democratic party like she's just hr she just works there and like you being mad at that the output of the of the fingers making a little hand that makes a puppet thing that you should be worried about is like the brain of this thing and the structure of this thing and uh but even if you're inside or outside or whatever you know whether or not you even if you are the most electoralist person on the block pelosi is not uh, like getting her beaten is not going to change any of the power relations. Do you realize that before Pelosi was like the big power head in the Democratic Party, that no one knew who she was, and that yeah. like, like that's going to be what happens when they replace her? Like, they're just going to like, yeah. like it doesn't matter that we don't know who that next person is. They know the people who are in charge know who that next person is, and they're just going to thrust them into power. And so, yeah, we can vote Pelosi out as speaker, but they're probably just going to be like, oh, it's Chuck Schumer. You know, like, right, exactly. (laughs) Because it's a patronage system and there's a line of succession. Like, that's how it works. Yeah. It's the same bureaucratic imperialist bullshit they've been doing since the kings. Like nothing has changed except for specifically the way it's codified. Everything else is the same. And and listen, for people who don't know this, it can get worse than Pelosi. Democratic Party is and in fact, any serious challenge to Nancy Pelosi within the Democratic Party will be a challenge from her right and not from the left because you guys simply don't have enough congress people or or votes in that party to like move an election in that way unfortunately so also pelosi's district is wealthy like let's let's just be clear about like like it's it's rich libs like you you're trying to convince rich libs to vote for like you know some some activist yeah person from like way outside anything that they even care about like if you want to get pelosi out as speaker of house like the best thing to do is just keep electing progressives to your district you know like that's what's going to do it ultimately Go imagine, go to the rich lib part of your town and do like that thing, <laughs> you know? And people will just, I mean, they some I've will be nice to you. I've canvassed yeah. to rich libs. I want to say, I want to jump in nice here. To I've you. canvassed yeah. to rich libs. It's tough, okay? Y'all go try it. Y'all go try. I've canvassed to rich libs for lib ass issues back when I was still more lib and not like a full blown leftist yet. And I was still willing to canvas for issues that were kind of more lib than I really liked, but I was still kind of okay with them at the time. Like I've canvassed for lib politicians and lib issues to rich libs and it's still hard try canvassing to them about progressive issues and see what kind of conversations you have it's tough okay it's tough i'm not saying it's not possible i'm not saying it's not work that needs to get done i'm just saying that like there's districts that we can flip way faster to a progressive seat like decades faster (laughs) there are people who are who are listening who are listeners who are just completely outraged and uh hate us all I know. So, well, let me, okay, let me speak. To, if you're listening, you're outraged. I want to speak to you specifically right now, because here's the thing. I get it. I'm an anarchist. My ideal form of society cannot come from the government. I want to be clear about that. My ideal form of society cannot come from this government that we have, period. And I think a lot of y'all out there that are really frustrated probably feel the same way, right? But if you feel that way, then you got to stop treating politics as a team sport. And I know that you who are on the left and listening to this or are are relatively left and listening to this, maybe think that you're above that. And I want to assure you that you're not um, and encourage you on some paths to like try to actually not think of politics as a team sport. Because the thing is, when you realize that the government cannot give you what you want, that, that the 
tools are not there that you cannot have like the things that you want through these means. You have two options in my opinion. One is you say, I'm gonna disengage. The other is you say, I'm just gonna use these tools to my best benefit however I can. That's what I'm doing personally. You know, politics is not a team sport, really. But class warfare absolutely is a team sport. You should figure out which class you're in and which side you're on, like, now. And if you are on the class side that's going to lose, which is the rich people, uh, you should probably be trying to divest, like, now. Uh, and also, just for no reason, related to absolutely nothing, you know, people used to break into politicians' houses and throw all their shit out on the street. And, uh, yeah, that's just a thing people used to do. Random history facts. Yeah, random history facts. When they didn't like politicians' behavior, they would literally break into their houses and throw their things out onto the street. And sometimes if they were really, really mad, they would take their houses apart, piece of wood by nail holding it together until they got what they wanted from politicians. And I'm not saying that we should necessarily do these things, but I do think that it might be better if politicians had some sort of meaningful fear of repercussions. Yeah, I, I think that people uh, think that, that there's something in the United States culture that's like uniquely immune to this sort of thing. And unfortunately, the power brokers in our society right now are just completely determined for that to be a fact. Uh, I would just say there are plenty of places that have Netflix yep. and uh, while out this year. So the, the old paradigms of like, listen, all you've got to do is build a McDonald's in your country and the people there will be chill forever because once McDonald's is there, there is a certain buy-in to neoliberal capitalism and stability yep. that there will not be unrest. That, old, that was under kind of the old contract of society. And unfortunately, like that contract that existed maybe in the 80s or early 90s and economists were gaga over is being has been just depleted and decapitated and it's just clearly fallen to an end i've never seen in the world stage a government just be so openly spiteful of its people as we've seen this year yeah we're so domesticated it's really disappointing to see like we have been so thoroughly and effectively propagandized against our own power. You know, we have been taught to hate ourselves so thoroughly and so deeply that we can't even conceive of a better world than this anymore. And it's just heartbreaking and frustrating to see that, like, we aren't a sleeping giant. We're a mewling kitten. You know, we're not anywhere close to actually being able to do something about this. Not yet. We need to start. I believe we can be. And, and I know some people say this can just keep getting worse until it gets worse and worse and worse. And uh, yes, but I, I just don't think we're like un as bad as things are in the United States. And it's been real bad. You got to remember that the United States is a country that hasn't really seen like the kind of conflict that other places have seen. So it's not like a tradition. I mean, yeah. Not in a long time. Yeah. Really... I, I know we're not going to talk about this in depth, but I do think it's important in this moment to mention that there was, in fact, an actual suicide bombing in Nashville over the weekend. So, like, you know, just like when we say we aren't seeing these things, uh, I don't know if that's true anymore. We'll have to maybe... We'll, we'll talk about that in yeah. depth in a different episode. But we'll talk about it later. Mentioning sort of in the abstract and in this moment that uh, perhaps, no, things yeah. are, perhaps we're there now. <laughs> or getting there. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think we're there now. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, I think just there's a lot of room to uh, agitate people. And I, I think maybe our current political system, and this is where we agree, is really overestimating how much it will take to get people at least like implacably pissed off.
I also think they're overestimating what it would take to like keep society functioning. This is one of the things that kind of amuses yeah. me in a way because like honestly, like if everybody just had like healthcare and a PS5 right now, come on. Like everything would be basically fine, yeah. The the idea that revolution could even be on the horizon wouldn't even be like a thing. <laughs> But we actually do have the conditions for it right now, you know? Like, we have 40 million people who are at risk of becoming, you know, unhoused. Like, I know people that have recently become unhoused. Yeah, you know? like, for the first time. It's it's tough. It's tough to watch this stuff happen. Yeah, it's happening right now. You know, the number one cause of bankruptcy in the United States was already medical debt. And yeah. now we have this horrific plague running around that's gotten, you know, 300 what 50 million people killed now and like in addition to that another something like 20 million people who, in the united yeah. states oh yeah sorry three hundred fifty thousand people and then in addition to that there's like you know 17 million people or something that have gotten infected with it many of them who have like serious complications who had to go into the hospital for it mm -hmm. who are now like if not permanently damaged seriously damaged in ways that's taking really long times to heal like we have just this massive amount of medical need and no way to address it and all of these people who are desperate and struggling and you know we're reaching this sort of boiling point between that and you know the ongoing racial and ethnic tensions that we have that we refuse to acknowledge even exist right we're not doing great and i don't think it's unrealistic to say like hey i think these suicide bombing things are going to become more common i think we're going to see things that look like the troubles i think we're going to see people shooting at each other in the streets more often you know if folks recall that was one of my predictions for yeah. post biden i didn't i've never said the phrase suicide bombing uh you know i've always Always been worried about just you know randos and mass shootings and things like that yeah well it was already happening right yeah. but suicide bombing is an escalation we're in as bad as this yeah. is as bad as this i feel like we're in a lull in terms of the national temperature because a lot of people are thinking hey what are what's this guy biden gonna do and I think it's just going to get worse, you know, because yeah. I think we're we're looking at like Obama was a big agitator yes, for both exactly. sides, for both sides, right? Exactly. Like, like Obama agitated people that were frustrated that this so-called progressivism wasn't happening and exactly. who, who wanted things like health care and to, you know, end endless war and things like that. And when did those mass shootings start ticking upwards? It was during the Obama administration. Like as a direct response to the Obama administration, people started shooting up churches. Like I mean, you have that whenever a Democrat is president. It, yeah, exactly. And now we have somebody who's technically a Democrat, but acting like a Republican, and that's the worst of both worlds. And like yeah. we're so fucking screwed. Yeah, it's we're just so gonna screwed. cause everybody to become more agitated for sure. Yeah, that's yeah. Like it's it's gonna well, be bad. Look, the good news is, the good news is, now you're saying it's going to be bad about, you know, civil agitation. You've talked yourself down from civil war. You're now down no, to civil agitation. I, I don't actually think that's the case, is what I'm saying. Not I think we're going to see more suicide bombings. Like, that's war. But listen, that's, there's three days left in the year. And I think that kind of conflict was on your, was on your 2020 checkbook and not like the far-flung future. So, I mean, you've I made it another few weeks is all I'm trying to say here. Oh, man. I, listen. <laughs> Brandon, I mean, I'm just trying to see some joy out of this. Uh, at least perseverance. Let's see what happens when everybody gets back from seeing their families and COVID cases spike in triplicate. You know, let's see what happens after that. Because I think you know, there's still plenty of room for things to boil over in the next like six weeks. 
I'm going to say that like this, even this civil war talk is I'm going to loop it back to everything else because this is again, uh, a civil war doesn't happen unless you've got a bunch of people's phone numbers that are ready to do a civil war. And have all yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> like the right, like the incredibly um, freakishly upsettingly well-organized right. But they're, but they don't have an opponent. They don't have an opponent and 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 there's a question of whether or not there will be an opponent because we've seen things like for instance a lot of the like modern terrorism that's taken place around the world just in general we've seen this kind yeah. of thing frequently happen where even when modern terrorist groups rise to unimaginable heights like isis becoming nearly like a a, a solvent and like functional full-scale government entity at, at its height you don't necessarily get like a response group that just automatically forms becomes cohesive and becomes like a cohesive force just like fighting that a lot of isis downfall just came from like just relatively disorganized acts of disruption to like their plans and things like that. And also like just governments yeah. fucking with them and all kinds of things. And so like what's going to happen with these right wing terrorists if a enemy doesn't emerge? It doesn't necessarily mean that they'll win. I want to be clear about this. We don't necessarily have to fight a full blown civil war to beat these people. And I'm a little frightened sometimes by the people who assume that we do. Yeah. I have no yeah. strong disagreement. Yeah. Nothing like my my point this entire year and you can go back to earlier episodes and i will be saying the same thing is uh it's impossible to predict what the future holds you never would have in those episodes from a year ago we never would have been like oh there's a pandemic in a few months it's gonna just completely alter you know how we organize how like we're talking about how, how we're organizing like everybody's had to like completely change the way that they've done this stuff like just over the last few months culture is going to change in immeasurable ways from this like in the way that 9 11 like completely changed america do you guys realize that there's like there's going to be a pre and post covid american culture yes. like we don't the old rules like do what what you think works but don't get so ideologically addicted to the way things have got to be because history is going to go some, yeah. some weird fucking places the next few years well and it's only going to keep getting weirder as climate change continues and we see yeah. more and more catastrophes like when we talk about electoral politics now we should no longer be talking about preventing these kinds of things from happening we should be talking about who's going to be in charge of keeping as many people as we can alive when they happen right when we see more stochastic terrorism what are we going to be doing about it when we see more horrific geological and climate events because of climate change who's going to be in charge of giving aid right like who do you want in charge when there's an actual crisis i for one don't want either re the republicans or the democrats in charge because frankly i think they're both completely incompetent but like that's really the conversation we should be having or even better, we could be getting out ahead of things. Reactive response to everything is the conservative mindset. Like that is yeah. the traditional capitalist American mindset and like falling into it with our own movements really doesn't do us any favors. Um, yeah. I'm tired of so much doomerism on the left about all we can do is put band-aids on the problems as they arise. And right, I'm not trying to right. say that you're the absolute figurehead of that, Rachel, because you're not, you're actually right. a very well, hopeful leftist. I don't think what you're um, saying, what I'm saying are actually incompatible. Right. Like, I agree with you. I 
think you are describing how we should do the thing I am saying that we should do. Yeah, I just think that like yeah. we should be we should be getting out ahead of this stuff too and saying like we could be we could be creating solutions, not just band-aids, but solutions. Exactly. We could be doing things to respond to climate change in such a way that we make the planet livable in spite of climate change again. Yes. We could be doing things in response to a lot of problems that are like that. And that's that's the kind of organizing like I see so many organizers who think that they're the vanguard of the left, but seem content to just fight losing battles. I'd rather yeah. fight for a winning cause uh, where I might lose that fight, but I'm fighting to win. Like I, all the chips are on the table, at least. I don't feel like all the chips are on the table with some of these causes that y'all are putting your lives on the line for in effect. Kennedy, it sounds like you're getting dangerously close to saying we should set up mutual aid networks and proactively <laughs> plan for these catastrophes and how we're going to keep people alive by moving goods and services, you know, around these broken financial systems that will inevitably collapse as things continue to weirden or something. I would definitely never suggest that people band Absolutely together resources not. and use them effectively in groups. That's not my core message at all. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> But I mean, I know we're a bunch of like anarchists and anarchists love mutual aid because we understand what it is. But like, I, I hear a lot of this from the sort of right wing of the left, that it's like sort of a petite bourgeois thing to pursue in the first place. That like, there's this sort of weird pushback against creating that kind of organizing for like de facto networks of goods and services and trade that are sort of more informal, more accessible and more intentionally designed to be community building, right? There's this like sort of pushback against that as though it's not legitimate politics, you know? Okay, let me just put this out there. Uh, this is definitely tinfoil hat territory. If you can't stand that sort of thing, just skip ahead 30 seconds if you feel you must. The CIA intentionally created that perception around mutual aid and specifically communes. And communes right. in particular were very popular in like the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And there was a lot of government propaganda done to paint the idea of what these communes were in a different way. And there was right. also a lot of capitalists, just the way capitalism just naturally leeches its tendrils into like things that find success. There was some of that too, of course. There were a number of things that caused a a lot of the older communes to collapse. Some of them are still around, which I will always point out because especially because of that one Twitter user that wanted to say that they all collapsed. Uh <laughs> But uh, listen, like like this stuff, the perception that this stuff is bougie is propaganda. I want to be really clear about that. A lot of the like core like movements that I would recommend that people look at were not started by bougie people. These were started by working class like farmers and shit. I, it just blows my mind, uh, you know, as somebody who lives in Atlanta, uh, you guys don't think black churches do mutual aid. And you don't think that's part of why they've been able to re retain members who are 60 right. year old years old and, and older that still go there and go there every week it's because that that helps that that thing become a neighborhood hub yeah absolutely in the south churches are the primary hub of mutual aid frankly right. like that's just baked into the culture but like if we talk about our secular institutions and our political institutions it's like seen as somehow dirty among a lot of organizers and when i say this of course i mean like white upper middle class organizers right the dsa types you know, and that's primarily who I'm speaking to when I say, like, get your shit together, right? Like, figure out how to help the churches in your community, because those are the people who are already doing the work. 
and you know these the, you have these issues and yeah the, the church is giving out and they're getting incredible retention and it's like just a part of the lifestyle that goes on there so when you put these two things together yeah that's something that is smart to be taking notes from uh, when it comes to getting people engaged to do things because you know what churches have they have yeah. choirs they've got so like churches are full up with volunteers uh, it's not hard to get someone yeah. to commit a part of their life to something when they see that that commitment is part of the culture and the institution that they're in like <laughs> it's it's like hey when yeah. you sign up here part of what we do here is this uh it's easy to get people on board for that when yeah. you tell them that exactly when you present it as something that's expected of them yeah. i agree i also think there's just I think that there tends to be, I know someone will get mad at me about this. Luckily, not that many people listen to the audio show. Y'all watch the video show. So, um, but uh, somebody will still probably get mad at this. I think there tends to be a lot of people who that are on this very online leftist, I want to be the vanguard type mentality that have this sort of perception that no, no change is significant unless it, it liberates everyone. We have to liberate the whole yes. working class at once yes. or no one at all. And I just want to say something to y'all. Almost everyone that I've ever met, actually, not almost, everyone that I've ever personally met with this perception was middle class. No one yeah. that I've ever met with this perception was poor, okay? And this is crucial because y'all are not dealing with the kind of suffering that we're dealing with, okay? Yeah. And I'm yeah. I'm willing to speak for poor people here because I have been poor my whole life. A lot of my friends have lived in poverty. A lot of my family lives in poverty. And a lot of my friends have died in poverty at young ages. And that's why I engage. I just want to be clear. This is why I engage with this shit at all. I would not yeah. do electoralism except to try to save some people's lives. Because if we had healthcare, some of my friends would be here. It's that simple. Listen, you can say whatever you want, but I'm listening to the quality of your voice over that microphone. I see that it's got a little attachment when I watch oh, it on the show. Bougie. No. <laughs> That's the verdict. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I know that I've tweeted several things to this effect also, but I'm just going to say this here as well. It is crazy to me. Just absolutely wild that y'all very online leftists think that a $200 webcam is a bigger sign of bouginess than a $50,000 truck. Like, oh, but that guy uses a shovel sometimes. So he's a he's a real working class. <laughs> he's a working class hero. Yeah, they... they <laughs> They don't know any, they don't like know anybody who works sanitation or drives the You ever work construction? Any of y'all who have these thoughts? Because I have. And let me tell you something. Construction contractors are pieces of shit people. Those are bad human beings. These people that you're defending, these are not good people. The construction industry is awful. You want to talk about like wage theft, problems like that? There are no industries with more wage theft than industries like construction where people are regularly paid under the table and are like migrant mm -hmm. workers without documentation and shit. Like you think all those <sighs> yep. people get paid at the end of the house job? No, some of those people do not get all the wages that they were owed. Like be real about the fucking world that you're trying to talk about. This show is a co-op. Like <laughs> you, you're, yeah, you, you want right. to talk about, you want to talk about how online podcasters can't be the fucking real deal. I know this is like, we, we're fully <laughs> tangent now, but like you want to talk about how we we can't be the real deal. And th these people who like work with their hands, that's the real working class. Go look at that world and see what it's like. It's propaganda. Yeah. 
It is an image they are selling you of what working class looks like because it hasn't actually looked like that in like fucking 70 years. And back when it did look like that, there was a shred of equity to it. And now it's really just a bunch of people who are in these like racialized caste structures who just exist to be like non-person worker drones who build shit for venture capitalists who then do nothing with empty housing. And then we have fucking three times as many empty houses as we do people who are homeless. And nobody seems to like think that's even it's great there are people who are into symbolism who have absorbed the symbolism of yesteryear into their brain and see appropriating it as the true path to victory it's just a way of saying they're liberals they're just <laughs> like they're, they're li- like you know the trucker you know that's the real you know but it's also it's just consumerism also like they've got like yeah. their image in there that it's fetishization and there there are some people who are just on the left who are just like the more exotic the person is the more I care about them because it's so far removed from me that I don't have to grapple with my own culpability in it okay if somebody shows you like someone who's been displaced by you know some business that you patronize then you're not going to be interested in that kid because like it makes me feel the business it's better now it's better now that I have this desirable gastro pub instead of this place where like black children hung out together yeah yeah fuck off like uh, I, I just want to say, like, I had not seen that Mike Rowe Prager U video until what yesterday, and then so I had to dunk on it on Twitter this morning. Uh, he's not a traitor. He's a, he's just a fake. Period. Um, yeah, Mike Rowe's uh, always been rich. And I just want to say, though, all y'all online leftists who are like podcasting is bougie type knuckleheads need to go watch that video and realize that that's how you sound. Like when Mike Rowe is up there, like, don't follow your passion. Go get a garbage truck job and eat sewage for lunch. Like, that's how y'all sound. Like, you're being conservative. Right. Podcasting is basically the most egalitarian media at this point. Like, it is the thing that pretty much everybody can do. If you've got a cell phone, you can put together a shitty podcast. Like, but put all that aside. I want to do this. Yes. Like, aren't we supposed to fucking care about our passions on the left? Aren't we supposed to fucking, like, not just shove all this stuff down the way that capitalism tells you to just shut up, get a skill that's useful, and move on and give up on your dreams? Aren't we supposed to not do that? This is what I want to do with my time. That's a beautiful, that's a nice point. Like, it's not even just that it's the thing we want to do. We're fucking good at it. We're useful. This is good propaganda. This is a thing that actually helps radicalize people. And then we also do organizing. Like, it, I just, I am the most bougie member of the podcast. And I'm excited because I got a Roomba and splints for my broken fingers for Christmas. Like, it's not that fucking glamorous, y'all. <laughs> you own I don't Roomba. know what to tell you. Some new oh, shirts. Oh, no. You own Instead of going Roomba. to the thrift store. You own a Roomba. You're I was canceled. given a Roomba. You were yeah. given a Roomba. I got a Roomba. I got a Roomba. And then I'm getting a series of 10 finger splints that collectively cost $1,000, but will allow me to use my hands again because I have a joint disability. It's like, I don't, I wish I had that kind of money where those things didn't fucking matter, but none of us do. We are doing this for negative money because we are still paying to get this shit done half the time because it is a passion project, because we're good at it, and because nobody else was doing it and we got tired of nobody else doing it. Like, we made the content we were upset we weren't seeing. Rin, Sorry, I'd, like you, 
I'd like you to delete all of Rachel's posts where she shares her frustrations because Not Safe for Wonks is a great media empire. Fabulous, rising to the top, huge success. <laughs> and, it, and this is the best time possible for you to volunteer, to take notes for Rachel. We have clout, uh, we have esteem, we have respect. Those things fucking matter. They're not money. Like, <laughs> I would not, I would continue doing this. I would continue paying for this. I think we are effective in doing good things. And also like, we're not making money on this. I would love crash to. Don't, don't, don't let the people know that we're not making money. You know, no, here's why we, here's why we should let people know we're, that we're, we're not making from money. We're very different ends of the spectrum. And here's why. We should let people know we're not making money on this because one, it's proof we're not bougie and two, because it might guilt them into going to patreon.com slash not safe and becoming a patron, at which point they would be giving us money, which we now actually offer the option to do annually instead of like every month so if you're the kind of person who like maybe came into some money over the holidays and you're a lot more likely to drop 20 bucks right now than you are to drop you know two bucks a month for the rest of the year or whatever you should just like do that and then you get all kinds of cool extra stuff like lots of guys have podcasts these days and special recordings that we do just for fun listen that's that's a good you know pitch for the service but the way i would put it is (laughs) you want people to know that the show is rising that it's successful because we are rising and you're joining you're not you know, just getting episodes like lots of guys. You're also getting joining it on the ground floor. Hey, 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 you. We're looking hey, for motivated you. salespeople, don't Brandon. Do don't, do, don't, do, don't, do, don't you, you've been stepping on my bits all night, honey. This is the chance to be part of a rising community, rocking all over Discord, rocking on Twitter. All you We're have to do this. is recruit five leftists. We're, we're also as of as of tonight we're also on facebook promoting some of our events and getting more people so that is a good reason for you to buy an annual patreon subscription because you are someone who is getting in on the ground floor of a big movement that's getting a lot of clout and a lot of power so you want us to be day one ride or die uh, when we're doing the tour <laughs> you, you you can throw all that stuff in and maybe we'll sneak you in the back when we go on tour let me just give you a little assurance right now. When the revolution does come, it will. One, there will be a list of like qualifications that get you into the revolution, and one of them will be patron of Not Safe for Walks. <laughs> Annual patron, if possible. Um. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate y'all so much. As always, we know we could be a little unreliable with the audio show, especially lately. Uh, And we just appreciate y'all being patient with us. Putting out 100 episodes of a show is a lot. Branching into another type of media, also a lot. We just took on a little much and we're getting it ironed out now to have the audio show be back, be great like this every week again. And we just appreciate everybody being patient. Like a lot of people reached out to ask, when's the audio show coming back? And none of y'all were dicks about it. I just want to, I just, I know we've talked about this a little before, but I just want to emphasize that again. None of y'all were dicks. You were just like, hey, when's the audio show coming back? And we said soon. And you said, great. And here it is. We love you. Yeah. And honestly, I think all of us kind of collapsed emotionally in the last two months before the election, like not just on the podcast, but as a country altogether. I think there was a big giant catharsis that needed to happen, but we're back now and we're much more chipper. We're talking to each other again. We were never not talking to each other. I was going to say, what happened? We were never not talking to each other. We were only not talking to each other in as much as like all three of us had just catastrophic things happen in our lives and severe depressive episodes immediately afterwards. And the same like three month period, none of us were like able to talk to humans generally and i assume we're going to cut all of that anyway no, that's good. That's we love good you content. guys 
We're talking about this other yeah. stuff. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Life's no, we're going to keep all that. We love you guys. We love you gals. We love you people who are neither and or both of guys and gals. We mm-hmm. love you patrons. We love you saints, but not the football players, but also the football players. Yeah. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>